The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek episode 109. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Voyager episode, Prime Factors. And joining me today on the panel is Jimmy Aiken. Hello, Jimmy. So what does the title even mean in this case? I mean, Prime Factors. So I know what a Prime Factor is. If you if you have a number, <laughs> let's say it's the number 24, then yep. you say, if I factor it, how many how many different factors or numbers I can divide into it are there that mm-hmm. are prime? So if it's 24, well, 2 is a prime. That goes into 24. Yep. Twice, so you have yep. 2, 2, and then that gives you 2 times 2 is 4. And then 4 times times 3 is 12. And then another two to get us to 24. So the prime factors of 24 are two, three times, and then three. On the other hand, if you have the number 23, what are its prime factors? Well, only one in 23. Yes. So I know what prime factors are. What does that have to do with anything in this episode? The concept of primes and factors never comes up. Well, and I know what the prime directive is. Yeah. There you go. Okay. But that's not what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> this bodes well for this episode. <laughs> so, uh, as as before we get be- begin, I should explain, Father Corey is off on, uh, he's on shore leave, in, uh, along with uh, Will Riker. Uh, mm-hmm. They have not gone to Risa, which is, that would be a bad idea. I hope they haven't gone to uh, this planet either. <laughs> yes, yes, they have not gone to this planet either. So, uh, they, uh, so Father Corey will be back with us next time. Uh, Folks, if you have not done so, please make sure to subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or our SQPN YouTube channel, where you could hit the bell to get notifications. So, yes, we're talking about this Voyager episode called Prime Factors, which has nothing to do with Prime Factors, but has something to do with the Prime Directive. This is uh, the 10th episode of the first season, so we're we're in our groove now with with Voyager. We're, we're, We're there making their way home, still 75 years or so away. And so here, here's a quick recap. The crew of Voyager discovers a planet that has the technology to send them more than halfway home, maybe all the way home, but the planet's inhabitants are more than reluctant to share their technology with Voyager's crew, as doing so would violate one of the society's own prime directives, but not factors. Yeah. So, so we start in the, uh, the mess hall of Voyager, Mm-hmm. Where we have lots of talk about romantic relationships, including the always weird Delaney sister stuff. Did you find that the whole, all this talk about the Delaney sisters and Harry and and Tom? It's, it's a little creepy. Creepy. It's kind of a running gag on the show. Yes, because we never meet them. I 
do we see them in season seven? Maybe I forget, but but oh, certainly remember. for most yeah. of the show and maybe all of it, they are unseen characters we only hear about. It's kind of the opposite yeah. of Morn, who is a character we always see and we are told about him talking, but we never see him talking. Right. And the unseen character is kind of a convention in some shows. In Home Improvement, there was the neighbor. You only saw the top of his head over the fence. Yes. Wilson. In yep. Columbo, there was Mrs. Columbo, who we heard all about but never saw. And they're yeah. kind of setting up the Delaney sisters as a kind of romantic equivalent of that, where we're always hearing about their romantic entanglements. And it kind of reminds me of Happy Days. Yes. The show, if you remember that show, which was all about young people in high school and early college and their romantic entanglements in the 1950s. And it kind of, it seems to me that this Tom Paris, Harry Kim, the Delaney sisters, let's go on a double date. It has this kind of happy days vibe to it. It does. It, it turns out that uh, the Delaney sisters do show up on screen uh, in the episode Time and Again, where they, they're playing in a hollow novel. That's what uh, I thought. As the, the twin mistresses of evil. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, but it's it you know here poor Jenny Delaney they gossip about how she's how voracious she is and that sort of thing it's it's not very nice I have to say N yeah <laughs> so anyway the the point is though is not really to make a comment about how energetic Jenny uh, Delaney is but yes. how inept Harry Kim yeah, is Harry. when it comes yes. to romance because uh, they apparently were on a date in Hollow Venice which is apparently where all of the energy goes instead of making hollow food for people, right, you know, right. instead of replicating food, you're spending it on hollow Venice. Yes. And he and Jenny Delaney were in a gondola by themselves and they were talking and then Harry fell in the water and, and Tom suggested because Harry wasn't as aware of how voracious Jenny could be. So the implication is Jenny like tried to kiss Harry and he fell over. Yes. And so it's Harry. really, this is re not so much a joke at Ginny, the unseen Ginny Delaney's expense, it's a joke at Harry's expense. Right, right. And, and we also get a little bit about uh, Bellana looking uh, at, the, at a handsome young officer, too. And she's with Seska, who at this point is not yet a villain. Right. This is, this is Seska's, like, second episode or something that yeah. we, where she's had a speaking part. And the most so far we've had from her, she's like yeah. she's a she actually plays a key role in in the plot of this mm -hmm. one. Uh, but uh, we this all ends with Janeway, who's also in the mess hall with Tuva, commenting about how the cr two crews are finally starting to act like one, which is an interesting point because later on the two crews will act like one in a way they should. Yeah, <laughs> with Tuva and. Yes, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah, because Seska and Balana were both Maquis, whereas Harry yeah. was clearly Starfleet, and yeah. and Tom is Her kind of bad boy Starfleet. <laughs> yes, he's the the, the convict. <laughs> so uh, they get a distress call, and uh, they they uh, a French alien, <laughs> who's really a Belgian, uh, is he shows up on screen. Who sent out? We send out distress calls because you are in distress. Because you need us to give you a vacation or something. Yeah, is this is this is? I don't think they understand what how distress calls work. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, if if, if I'm weird. being attacked by a wolf, you don't need to be the boy who cries wolf to come to me and help me with the wolf. Just come to me and help me with the wolf. Well, it's it's very much like um, 
Uh, sent, it's like a it's a bad pickup line. Mm-hmm. I see you are in distress and need me to come rescue you for <laughs> to come yeah. to my planet for a, for a nightcap. It definitely, or something. It definitely was feels weird. like bait and switch. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So this this guy, by the way, so his name is Gatherell Laban. Yes. But I couldn't help thinking of him as this slimy, smug guy with the French accent. <laughs> and yes. and he's like the only person on his planet that has a French accent. So right. he's like the only person who grew up on Space France. The funny thing is, is the producers later on will, will say that it was a mistake to cast this actor. He's a fine actor. But to mm-hmm. cast like a, a French-seeming, who's really Belgian, actor as the space villain. It just... Mm-hmm. It, they they thought that that it it distracted from the 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 plot. Which yeah, well, he, and he certainly plays into some stereotypes. It's like this French guy who's <laughs> yeah. up to no good, I guess. Yes, he's very smooth with Janeway. Oh, so the, he is so hands on with Janeway. It's like <laughs> no keep kidding. your hands to yourself, Mister. We aren't even on a date. <laughs> I know. Okay, well, there'll be a couple of things I, I want to bring up as we go through this, where he is like very touchy touchy, uh, which and Janeway does not seem to object very much. So the the Sicarians, that's who these people are, are apparently incredibly hospitable. And Gath, they call me Gath, he says, uh, mm-hmm. had heard of Voyager and decided to find them and offer him a vacation. Uh, he comes aboard with gifts of food. And, He's got uh, hors d'oeuvres. Yes. <laughs> And, uh, I like how I he's, see- he's got a special container. It's like this, a kind of thermos heating container. It's actually based on real world containers that you have for yes. transporting food from fancy restaurants. It kind yes. of reminds me of the scene in Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window where, oh, I'm blanking on her name. It's not, it's not Janet Lee this time, uh, but where the, the, the Hitchcock girl comes in comes over to Jimmy Stewart's apartment and and he can't leave and go to go to dinner with her cuz he's got a broken leg and she says that's okay I've brought 21 with me and she has this gourmet catered meal from 21 brought in in the containers <laughs> like this and yes. so the so slimy guy has uh, a similar container when he opens it up and he's got hors d'oeuvres and uh uh Neelix seems a little bit miffed at first until he realizes, oh, Sicarians, I've heard of them. So, you know, apparently and they have a reputation. They have lots of seeds on their planet. We could go there and get some seeds and expand our menu selection. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that Neelix can make some more terrible recipes. So uh, once I get to the planet, Gath emphasizes that, and he says this in a very smooth way, it would give all of us great pleasure to do nice things for the Voyager crew. <laughs> like, make an entire wardrobe for you, Captain Janeway. So, you know, he wants to... Out of this flower petal fabric from a flower that only... Spun from a flower that only blooms in moonlight. Yes, yes. It sounds very romantic. Uh, Harry meets a female meteorologist who shows him how to operate the weather harp thingy. This is, this yeah. is kind of another fun thing involving Harry, where he sees her, it looks like a sculpture. And yes. she's waving this device over it, and it's making musical tones. And so he assumes this is some kind of art. And yes. so he compliments her. He's like, no, I'm just checking the weather. <laughs> and and that's kind of neat, actually. But the device yeah. is very impractical because he says, can I learn how to do this? And it's like, sure, okay, you got to flip this switch, and then you wave it around mindlessly. <laughs> and, and it's not obvious how he's supposed to make any sense out of any. It's like, what kind of data yeah. is Harry getting here? He's just hearing random musical tones, 
as he waves his device around randomly. Yes, it's the Theremin uh, weather <laughs> forecaster app. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, Gaff, as uh, we mentioned before, he gets very handsy with the captain as she tries to leave, but she seems to enjoy the attention. Oh, and, and, and then he introduces Janeway to a character who has like three scenes. Yes. Two or three scenes. His, he's an assistant to mm-hmm. Gath. His name is Jarrett Hotel. Now, yes. they say in the episode Jarrett Hotel, but since yes. we know in French you drop the initial H in front of that <laughs> vowel, his real yes. name must be Jarrett Hotel. So yes. that's how I'm going to refer to him. He's Jarrett Hotel. He's an assistant <laughs> to Gath, and he assigns Jarrett Hotel to be an assistant to the Voyager crew as well. Right. But he only has like one, maybe two later scenes, and he never really does any assisting. And he does say something about leaving the light on for them, but that's, I don't know. What yeah. <laughs> so after uh, Harry tells the uh, the young woman, the forecaster, Udana, her name is, the story of how Voyager ends up in the Delta Quadrant. Oh, and this, she's is, during, all excited. this is during a big dinner party they're having yes. for the Voyager crew. A social event. Harry's not even in uniform now, so. Yeah. Uh, so she's so enthralled by the story. She asked, and more so than you'd think by someone who just hears a story, she asked permission to be able to tell it to others and then explains how stories are very important in their culture. They're an essential part of our being, and therefore you would never just tell someone else a story for them. Uh, it's, it, it's like a kind of currency. Well, she says it, you'd never tell another story to someone without their permission. Right. And unless you had permission to tell the story. So say whatever else you want about the Sakarians. They have high respect for intellectual property rights. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Yeah, you do not have a lot of plagiarism going on there. So uh, she wants to take Harry off to a private place to tell more stories and apparently see etchings. Uh, and so they yeah. go off to this uh, on this sort of transporter and they have uh, this euphoria at wind at dawn at this place where I they know, are. they're like getting high on the wind, the planet where you can get high on the wind, which actually you think about it, that could happen, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what's, what's that wind picking up as it comes across the plains at you? <laughs> or even Whipping... what's, what's in the atmosphere? I mean, there are gases yeah. that'll make you goofy. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so Harry's getting a little uh, lightheaded, but then he sees that there are two sons and he's still you know, aware enough to realize that Sicario only has one son, and so Harry realizes they didn't just beam to another place on the planet, they're on another planet, and she tells him, it's 40,000 light years away. I, this is an interestingly written scene in that it's both badly written and goodly written. Because <laughs> initially, she so she steps on this pad and tells Harry, stand close to me, and then she says, Alastria. And so suddenly they're in an, they're on another pad. They're in a forest. It's night, and he's like, "Oh, where are we?" And she says, "Alastria, duh! Didn't you hear what I told the platform?" <laughs> and she's like, "Tell me all your stories now." And Harry is going, "Why is it so warm here? Why is it so much warmer here?" I think it's because she just asked you to tell your you tell her all your stories, <laughs> right? But her explanation is it's the dawn zephyr. Yes, and. He's Harry's like, Dawn, we just got here. And I'm going, dude, you know how time zones work. You know how transporters work. You should right. just assume you're in another time zone on the same planet. That Alastria is like eight hours ahead or whatever. Uh, so that's the bad part. But then as they're getting high on the breeze, <laughs> he notices, okay, the sun's come up because it was the Dawn Zephyr. 
And we, yep. he sees the two suns sitting there in the sky well above the horizon. Yes. And he deduces we're not in the same solar system. And yeah. I mean, and, and that, that, this part is actually pretty well written. Although, if it was pre-dawn just a minute ago, and now those two suns are sitting above the horizon, yes, Harry and Udana should be flying off into space because the planet was rotating so fast that those <laughs> stars got up above the hori- that far above the horizon really quickly, and then they stopped, which means the planet suddenly stopped rotating, and Harry and Udana <laughs> should be thrown off into space due to their own inertia. But yes. for yeah. some reason, that doesn't happen. Yes, that 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 dawn, uh, or or maybe the dawn Zephyr high makes you like lose track of time a little bit, and uh, yeah, okay, some time passed. We'll go with that. So Harry rushes back because of the implications of a transporter that can go forty thousand light years, and uh, Gath, meanwhile, back back at the ranch and on Sicaria, is making his move on Janeway. And Janeway's and about to, to kiss him. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so uh, no. <laughs> No wonder he doesn't want to help them, because uh, Harry comes up and interrupts Gath. <laughs> and, yeah, and Gath's some, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are some unpleasant terms for what Harry does here that we won't go into. <laughs> right. Uh, so it turns out that the Sakarians have a device called a spatial trajector, uh, but you can't use it because... Uh, Prime directive. Reasons. Yeah. Yep. If, if it's a projector, why don't they... Like, why don't they just shoot them through it? Like... You don't want to give the technology away, and and yeah. that, they kind of address this in a bit. But you know, you could just you know use it on Voyager, right? They don't. It. They don't really address that. They the implication seems to be that you need the technology to go through. It's not like a transporter. You need the platform. Yeah, and so you've if you've got the platform, you can traject to another platform. Right. And so you can't, you'd have to put a platform on Voyager or the equivalent of a platform, the thing that yep. the technology that makes it work, and then move Voyager and the technology would go with it. But since we've seen it work in a platform based way, they yeah. could build a really big platform and put it in orbit and put Voyager on that and then traject Voyager to elsewhere and Voyager would never have access to the technology. Or. Yeah. If you've got to put it on Voyager, like they actually do in this episode, they have a little device they put, take to engineering, then, okay, fine, you bring the device on board, and we, you, we, we jump the whole ship to Alastria, then we beam you and the device down to that platform that's on Alastria, and you take the device and jump back. We never have access to your technology. You just, you're in control of it the whole time. Right. So there are several options here that they don't uh, rule out for us in any credible way. Well, and in the end, it it's going to turn out that it's not about not giving Voyager the technology. It's going to come about that they just don't want them to go anywhere. They want them to stay. It's their plaything until they're bored well, of them. Well, Slimy Guy does, but yeah, yeah. others are yeah, happy he, to see them go as long as they get something out of it. Right, right. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it, it just seems like they undercut their whole mm-hmm. point of it. However, I want to give this episode props for for having the aliens be the ones with the prime directive for once. Right. That actually is very interesting. It's nice to see the Federation on this side of the principles, you know, whose right. principles are going to be honored here. That's actually very nice. And we get some nice discussion 
with Janeway and the crew once they realize that's the issue involved here. And Janeway makes the point, this is the first time we've been on this side of the fence. And how does that, how does our principles look to all the aliens we've dealt with? Right. I really like this briefing room scene, not just even how it's written, but also how it's shot. There's this Mm -hmm. moment where Janeway's kind of staring out the window and we see the director stays focused on Janeway. The camera is focused on her. We see her from the front. Yes. And everyone behind her is out of focus, but they're the ones having this debate about the prime directive. In the background. In the background. And Tuvok's like, well, they've already made their decision, so there's no point ruminating about it. And, uh, you know, the others are ha- going back and forth, how can we convince them? And finally, uh, Kim remembers that they, that about his, um, storytelling. His storytelling, yeah. But there's a setup for that, which Tuvok has a really great line that sets up what Harry then does. I, I like the debate about the prime directive. Because they really are being reasonable about it. Yes. And and talking about its benefits and limitations, but Harry says, but it does more good than bad on balance. But then Tuvok says, you know, we shouldn't assume that their first no is definitive. Mm-hmm. Saying no may just be a prelude to negotiation. Right. And that's actually true. There are societies where you the initial no is not a final no. In fact, it's interesting. Uh, a friend of mine from Lebanon, who actually, he speaks French. He sp- spent a lot of time in, in France. Uh, he married a French woman. But he and his family has also spent a lot of time in France. And he was telling me about, it was either his father or grandfather who was being taken to this one region of France. And his mother was prepping him for the local customs in this region and said, now, when we get there, they're going to offer you candy, but you must, you can't take it the first time they offer. You have to say no three times and then it's okay. So this was the local protocol. You don't wait if you accept it the first time you, it's like gauche. You're too eager to have the candy. You need to. Pretend, oh, no, I don't want to put you in any trouble. Oh, no, thank Oh, if you insist. Yes. And so that's the social way to take the candy in this province. And surely that dynamic will govern other interactions, too. But so she explains the dynamic to my friends, uh, either father or grandfather. They go to the region. Kindly woman offers him candy. He says, no, 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 yes. <laughs> <laughs> So they're a little lost in translation there. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. But I think that's awesome. He's trying to honor the principle and, and, and being expeditious about it. <laughs> so the, so Tuvok's remark leads them to you know wonder, okay, so maybe we've got something they want. What, what, could, what could we offer them? And this is when it, Harry remembers the stories, that how important stories mm-hmm. were to them. It's more than just entertainment. They're a kind of measuring rod of values and beliefs, he says. And the Voyager's database has every story ever told in the Federation, presumably. So why don't we offer them that? So Jamie notes that as a pleasure-oriented culture, they might appreciate a gift of literature. So she thinks this is, well, let's go with that. And she also orders that no one is to make any attempts to steal the technology. That's an order, right? Sure, mm-hmm. we're all on board with that. Until it becomes um, something well, else. We something else, <laughs> but... So, and I, I like how they talk about, oh, we'll give you the finest literature from dozens of cultures. 
Yes. And so it's like presumably they're skimming out like the Eye of Argon and all the painful <laughs> fanfic and stuff like that. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> but after Janeway, you know, gives this order, th- we see the crew, including Balana and Seska and other people saying and others questioning whether Janeway has a serious enough commitment to getting them home expeditiously. And right. so we see the crews, the two parts of the crew. This is where the, the the merging of the crews is not exactly playing the way Janeway would want it to. Because yes. now both Starfleet and Maquis are questioning her commitment to get them home as quickly as possible. Right. But because she hasn't done anything and say we're not going to go home quickly, they don't have any basis for action yet. Right. And so she says, look, let me go make my move with um, with Gath and put, put this offer to him. So she feeds him pecan pie and yep. he loves it and must have the recipe. Oh, by the way, the all the people from this planet wear interesting wire headdresses where yes. like they've looped wire around through their heads. And I find that nice as a visual attempt to do something other than hats. <laughs> or or wrinkled noses. Yes. It's also kind of impractical, though. Right. Because they're too fragile. But anyway, he's sitting there in his wire headdress eating pecan pie, and she pitches him on, let us use the trajector, and we'll give you all this lit. And he's going, mm, you know how to tempt me. And at this point, he, like, takes his right hand and puts it under her chin. <laughs> yes as as they're sitting there at this table and it's like dude that is so jeffrey dahmer or ted bundy or something he's like you're, he's like he's gonna choke her it's like he's gonna <laughs> choke her except he means it to be tender and so a normal woman would recoil at that gesture <laughs> exactly who wouldn't and but she sits there and he's like oh you so know how to tempt me and <sighs> He's, he says he'll talk to the other magistrates about it, and then he, he has more pie. Yeah. Which, you know, if, if Melanie were offering me her pecan pie, that would that goes a long way to convince me to, to doing stuff for her. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I can see where pecan pie can, can get you there. So mm-hmm. Seska and Torres are in engineering, and Seska tells the story of her brother back home who will think she's dead and, you know, missing his birthday. Uh, and uh, that gets Torres for, to decide that she's going to start scanning for maybe see how this trajector works you know the this uh she sees the spatial anomaly and carrie who remember was uh early on starfleet crew who was torres's rival for becoming chief engineer mm-hmm. he actually joins them in their theorizing so hey the crews yeah. are working together against the captain's orders and and, <laughs> and and i like how this scene so they kind of step one step at a time towards this brink of, yes. Oh, well, we could just run a passive scan here. So, oh, we could just conjecture about what's doing that. And it's like, oh. And and eventually Torres, as the chief engineer, gives their theorizing her blessing to try to start figuring out how the trajector works in theory. She really stresses the yes. in theory part. And it reminds me of a scene in the Mikado where you have the romantic leads, Nanki Poo and Yum Yum. And they're clearly in love with each other, but because Nanki Poo is in is engaged to the cheap tailor Coco, she can't. Uh, Yum Yum cannot is engaged to the tailor. She can't have a romantic relationship with Nanki Poo at this point. 
So they're sitting besides each other talking about what they can't do. And so it's like, <laughs> if it wasn't for the law, I could put my arm around you like this. And if it wasn't for the law, I could, we could do this other thing. And if I could, if it wasn't for the law, we could kiss each other fondly thus, and they kiss. And then they start singing about what they're not going to do. It's like, this, oh, this, is, and they kiss, is what we'll never do, we'll never do. <laughs> and, it just, yes. and they're walking themselves over the line of temptation. This scene in Voyager reminds me of that. It's like, oh, we, can, we, could, we can't actually do this, but let's figure out how this works in theory. The musical episode of Voyager we never had. Yeah. <laughs> so, meanwhile, Harry, uh, oh, so smart, Harry, uh, so, so worldly-wise, is being led by the hand in, at night into an alleyway by Udana, where he's about to get uh, mugged or something. But mm -hmm. it turns out they're meeting uh, Jared, Jared Hotel. Hotel. Yes, and he's got an offer for Harry that he can't refuse. He's going to give them the trajector technology in exchange for the database himself. So, right. uh, he, you know, he, he should be in a trench coat right now, is, is, is what yeah. I'm saying. This, this should be a trench coat involved. And he hands the Matrix to, to Harry and tells him that Gath has n never had any intention of helping them. He hands it to him to look at. He's, it's not his to take yet. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but he does reveal that Gath has no intention of helping the Voyager crew, no matter what he said to the captain. Yeah. And, he, and he, Jarrett admits that he himself wants to benefit from this transaction personally. Yes. Not just in terms of getting the stories, but I will gain lots of prestige if I'm the one who delivers the stories. That's right. Right. So uh, actually, so he, and I think there's, he's probably making a move on, on Gath's social position. Because if, right. if Gath is the one who stood in the way of getting all these absolutely, you know, fabulous new stories, and Jarrett Hotel was the one who delivered, well, then clearly Jarrett Hotel is the one who ought to be a magistrate. Jared Hotel is the Sakarian equivalent of a network executive. Yeah. On the move. <laughs> <laughs> so before going to the captain with this, this tempting offer, uh, Harry talks to Paris, Torres, and Seska. And Seska proposes, let's just do the deal ourselves instead of waiting for the captain and then offering it as a done deal, seeing, is you know, forgiveness like, instead of permission. It's almost like Seska is not a fully ethical person. Huh. <laughs> Imagine. Who knew? Uh, yes, yeah, she's essentially proposing mutiny. So Kim does go tell the captain, who wonders if Jared Hotel, the alley guy, is just playing them to get an advantage. Yeah. By the way, something I wondered, because of the way they edit the scenes, Yep. it, it looks like Harry is talking this over with his crewmates before going to the captain. And it's like, why don't you go directly to the captain with this? But yeah. then at the end of that scene, a message comes in and says, the captain can see you now. Right. So apparently that he did mean to see the captain first. He's he's not slacking off on his duty. He, he's doing his duty. He just had to wait to get an appointment. And right. while he was waiting for the appointment, he talked to the other people about it. Right. And and he he talks to Janeway and Tuvok is there for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And uh, instead of Chakotay, which I would think Chakotay would be there as his second, her second in command, but Tuvok is there for story reasons. Yeah. So the question that confronts Janeway is whether to compromise her principles if it means getting the crew more than halfway home. Because the principle is respect their culture. And Tuvok actually has a little bit of foreshadowing of what's going to happen. Because, and he's laying out her options very clearly and logically, which is good. It's nice writing for a Vulcan. You could mm -hmm. do this or you could do that. Those are your two options. 
But he then <clears throat> expresses an opinion, and he does it very subtly. He doesn't come across heavy with this, but he says, well, if you do make the deal with Jarrett, at least it's his law that's being violated, not ours. Right. And Janeway doesn't bite on that, and she starts going on about it all comes down to my principles and blah, 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 and she, she, she doesn't realize he's telling you his opinion. His <laughs> yes. opinion is make the deal. Right. Be right. If, I mean, so, yeah, you might be breaking—Jarrett is breaking his law, but are you breaking any laws? I mean, you, you know, is, yeah. maybe Starfleet has a thing where you don't encourage people to violate the laws of their culture. I don't know, but uh, yeah, uh, my but guess it, is Starfleet Command would be okay with getting their sh ship and crew back. I, w I would—they've got a big investment in it, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Also, it's—I think there's an if, because if it's if there's a law being broken, it's his. Because right. Jarrett Hotel has already said— that not everybody feels that there are a lot of people on Sicaria who believe that rules should be flexible enough to meet the needs of the occasion. Right. And so there's it's debatable. If, and even Gath has said maybe the other magistrates would go along with this. It's possible. Right. So it's not clear we have a violation that it would be a violation to take this, even under their right. law. So, you know, uh, so they, they end with, Tuvok saying, well, we got to at least, you know, uh, run things out with Gath and see if whether he's actually going to help us anyway. So there's no sense potentially violating this relationship we're building with Gath if he's going to help us out. So that's what happens. Janeway's back on the planet with Gath, and she asks him, have you talked to the other magistrates? And he does the whole uh, gaslighting thing of, oh, they're traveling or something. I haven't had a chance yet, <laughs> which is totally yeah, well, obvious. I I think this this is so I, I'm a little more sympathetic to Gath in this sequence okay. because it may be well, it may be true. Um now they need to get Janeway to the conclusion that he was never gonna help, but right. they don't establish that in the writing. He does offer her a series of excuses and alternatives, but they don't show us that these are actually false. Um, right. And when she when she ends up confronting him and says, you you never had any intention. He says, yes, I did. But you've blown it now. Right. I mean, what what happens is like he he says, well, why do you want to leave so much? Like, you know, we, we really see the cultural differences here. Like, why are you so intent on getting home? You can make a new home here. This is where you can be super awesome here. <laughs> right. And Janeway starts to realize that Gath is all about novelty. You know, yeah. he, that that they're and they're the new hot thing. So he's very interested in that. But, you they, know, what? they visually or they kind of visually and quickly set us up for this at the beginning of this sequence where they're walking through the marketplace and someone's showing what looked like a bunch of giant necklaces or Dominican rosaries to <laughs> right. uh, to Gath. And he's like, oh, no, I've seen those. And yes. and that visually tells us he's all about novelty. But yes. that's the only example of that we see. And then Janeway tells him, I've seen how quickly you get tired of your pleasures. And then she goes on this lecture about we in the Federation prefer permanence and relationships that deepen with time. And Gath is all, is this how you repair our hospitality by attacking <laughs> our beliefs? It's right. not, it, it is not at all pleasurable. To have your beliefs attacked, and she's like, "Oh, yes. well, there you are. All you all you really care about is your pleasure, and you're gonna get tired of us, and blah blah blah. And you are hostile and vicious. You pollute the joyousness of our lives. You must leave immediately." 
<laughs> and he kind of flounces and uh, I expect him to like do the pop on his mouth, you know. <laughs> to, like, yeah. like, Who's that actor from the old movies? <laughs> so yeah. essentially the Sicarians, Jamie concludes they're essentially hedonists and uh, he doesn't deny Duh, it. That was obvious <laughs> yeah. from the beginning. And he acts as if Janeway standing up for her beliefs about permanent relationships is an attack on his, which, frankly, feels very modern, doesn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, your beliefs are an attack on my beliefs. And she realizes that all the hospitality they got offered wasn't really about helping other well, people. But So realize is, uh, well, okay, but if you're helping someone, it's very seldom you don't feel good about helping someone. Yes. You know, th- that I thought was a little bit, yeah, I have some sympathy for the Sicarians here because you do. If you if you if you go out of your way to help somebody, which he clearly has, you know, he right. he reached out to them and brought them here and has been entertaining them. He he wants to feel good about doing that. And that's fine. Right. I think though the point is that that's the overriding and exclusive thing to him is his own pleasure. It's right. not a mutual thing. It's really fundamentally about he wants to feel a certain way as a result of this. He doesn't really care about these other people. They're just objects to him. He's using them. Yeah. Yes. But then she confronts him and says, well, you never had any intention of helping us. And he says, yes, I did. And this is after he's told her to get out. Yes. And Janeway then goes back to the ship and says, yep, he never had any, he never had any intention of helping us. He was just stringing us along. But I don't, think she knows that. I think that's Janeway telling herself that because it's her way of rationalizing the interaction because she may have really blown it with him. He may have been serious about helping them, even though he was open to them. Well, why don't you just stay? Well, it's not exactly what he says, because she says, you never had any intention of helping us, did you? He says, of course I did. I tried to convince you to stay. That's what he considered to be Hmm. helping them. Okay, well then I missed the, that part. Then they did. Yeah. Then they did establish it more clearly. But th- from from yeah. my watching it, it's like, well, maybe he does have intention of helping, right. and and helping them on their journey. He just wanted them to stay longer. No, yeah. The the line is, um, okay. of course, I did. I did everything in my power to persuade you to stay here. Mm. And and yeah. So okay. But she but she does kind of react when she gets back to the ship. She's in a bit of a. <laughs> The hell hath no fury like a woman scorned yeah. <laughs> uh, a vibe going on where she cancels all shore leave, uh, tells Tuvok that, and, and it is a bit precipitous, like maybe the second no isn't a no either. Yeah, sure. <laughs> she tells him Gath was stringing them along, or does she really mean that he was stringing her along? Uh, so she might be, mm-hmm. there might be a little bit of that there. Oh, sure. Um, and so that they're going to leave. Seska, but, but she tells Takote, "Beam everybody back up," and he says, "It's going to take hours." Right? Because, really? Because <laughs> why? It, don't you have emergency procedures for leaving a planet? Yeah, yeah, I mean, when you have to evacuate a ship, you can get everybody off it pretty quick. But okay. Yeah. So, Seska, uh, now that the news is out, uh, or actually, I think before they get the news, she says. Um, she tries to convince Torres to go along with stealing the technology, uh, and she mm-hmm. re- reminds her of the people waiting for them back home. So Torres agrees, and and, and that Carrie they- does too. It's really Seska and Carrie. You have the Maquis lady and the Starfleet guy, both convinced Balana we need to do this, and they have a theory of how to integrate the technology into their systems, and 
Uh, I like that Carrie says, like, oh, look, I have a wife. I have two little boys. I don't want them to grow up without a father. I'd do anything to prevent that. Like, he's he wants to get back to his family. And, mm-hmm. you know, but of course, being a Starfleet officer on a, on a starship, <laughs> I'll be done. I, mean, I, I respect his service. Let's just put it that way. Uh, so that that's I, I suppose that's okay. It, it, you could bring him on the Enterprise and have a family ship. So uh, when they can't bypass security at the transporter, uh, that they can't get through the the beam up, the lockout. By the way, why isn't this transporter being used to beam everybody up from the shore leave? Because it's going to no. take hours. <laughs> of course. Uh, so they they can't get that transporter to work. So uh, Seska says, "Beam me down." Uh, like what they're trying to do is get past the security that would alert that the transport has been used that that's really what it is yeah. she says look just beat me down anyway um i'll make the, the 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 transaction even if even though they'll know i've I've gone that's when tuvok enters the transporter room and they think they've been caught like oh no tuvok's here we're, we're the, the boy scouts here we're done but instead he t- he tells them no i've decided to do the exchange myself for for logical yeah. reasons and he knew they were doing it because when he went to download the library of all the great super cool literature he saw it had already been downloaded by someone yes yes it keeps logs of whoever downloads it that's a huge thumb drive so tuvok the, thus comes back with the device and hands it over to torres but says don't turn it on until i've talked to the captain got it don't turn it on he walks out seska grabs it i'm just going to test it you yeah, they're doing the this oh this is what we'll never do again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So they realize that the technology only works within the orbit of Sakaris. Here we have our limitation that they can't just wait to fly away because Jamie's about to take the ship out of orbit. If they go out of orbit, it's not going to work. And this is a problem because they say that as they get well, now that they've got their hands on the device and can actually poke it with a stick, they yes. learn that you need an amplifier as big as a planet to make this work. And it turns out that's what Sicaria is. It has a tetrahedral quartz mantle 20 miles or 20 kilometers thick. And so you could use that mantle to project yourself all the way to Alastria, 40,000 miles away. Does Alastria have a mantle of quartz that thick too? Maybe. Um, <laughs> But they say earlier on we can re- we can go to every planet in the quadrant. Right. Well, how do you get back from every planet in the quadrant if you need a mantle of quartz twenty kilometers thick? Because Maybe something pr- the platform uh, at the destination. Well, acts as a then they're introducing antenna. new possibilities for how you could use it to get Voyager closer to home. Well, in fact, at one point they said like, look, we can get forty thousand light years to Alastria, and from there maybe we could use it to go f- right. even further. So yeah, yeah. I mean, they kind of mention it, but yeah. But it's a flaw. It seems to me it's a flaw in the design. If if the transmitter or the platform on other planets can send you here, why do you need the quartz mantle? Because they presumably don't all have that. Right. Right. There's there's they they needed. The writers needed a way to put a, a limitation that creates right. some urgency. Yeah. Right. So it's sloppy writing. We've got to got to use it before we leave office. And up on the bridge, Janeway is saying, let's leave orbit. Yes. And that's when the, the um, Torres turns off the, the impulse engine and says, the, oh, we're thrusters. sorry. We were, yes. We're, we were cleaning out the, uh, the thruster manifolds and uh, we're not quite done yet. So I'll let you know when it's ready, uh, which yeah. is really bad form for a chief engineer. 
Um, so they, they decide they have to activate the device before getting Janeway's permission via Tuvok. But, of course, everything goes wrong when they do. The warp the core is going to breach. The is becoming unstable. <laughs> yes. Torres has to phaser the, the breaching warp core, which sounds like a bad idea. Oh, no, she has to phaser the uh, the uh, Matrix from yeah. the trajector. Because uh, it's fused. And then Seska, Seska wants to cover up what they did. Like, no one will ever know. We can delete the logs. But Torres won't let her. It's like, no, we need to... We need to take responsibility for our actions. And then Tuvok, when uh, Torres is getting dressed down by the captain, he won't let Torres take the fall and admits to being the one making the exchange, which sets Janeway back on her heels. Yeah. I, I find, it, while, while the character moment, I mean, it's revealing of character where, that Seska and Torres have about, are we going to erase the logs or not? The idea that this was going to go unknown is nuts. Yeah, because up yes. on the bridge, Janeway is going. We're showing an imminent warp core breach down there. What's going on? Well, there's going to be an investigation after an imminent warp core breach, and even, <laughs> right. So you're not going to get away from this clean. There are all there's yes. when she, when when uh, Torres says to Carrie to get everybody out of engineering, and he ineffectually goes and starts urging them out. It's not his best <laughs> moment of acting in this. Yeah. There's like a dozen or more people that are in engineering at this moment. So you're not, they're going to be witnesses. You're not going to get away with what what caused the warp core breach and here are the remnants of this phasered thing. And <laughs> Well, I, I remember that Seska had this thing in her hand that she plugged in right before everything went to hell. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like, <laughs> like, do they not realize all these other people standing around looking? Yeah, yeah it's true. So the, Janeway gives Torres a dressing down, not, not as much of one as she frankly should. I mean, she tells her, one more time, young lady, and you're going to your room for the rest of the voyage home. Well, like, she got, that's an she ex- got worse dressing downs in previous episodes. Yeah. So, so I like how in this scene, you have Torres saying, I'm, you know, the senior officer, so I'm taking responsibility. So she's not ratting out Seska and Carrie. Yes. And that's nice. Or Tuvok. Or, or Tuvok. And yep. then Tuvok corrects her and outs himself. All that's all that's nice. Janeway, and I really like Kate Mulgrew's acting in this yep. scene because she is shaken. Yes. When Torres admits this and when Tuvok admits this, she is just shaken. And she is torn between rage and disappointment. Incomprehensibility and yep. disappointment. And so she tells what she tells Torres is I don't have the luxury of throwing you in the brig for the rest of the voyage. I need everybody here. You know, she's so she needs her. But next time, if there's a, an infraction, even a little one, you're not going to be an officer anymore. Right. So I'm not exactly sure what that means. It, it doesn't mean she's going to be in the brig, but if you need her so much, how can you then remove her from her position over a small infraction? <laughs> right. And, and then when she dismisses Torres, she turns to Tuvok. And she is lost. She She's yes. like, I don't even know where to begin. And it's really nice acting from Mulgrew. And so she and, and Tuvok get into it. Yeah, Tuvok says he did it for her. He was trying to spare her the ethical dilemma of trying to get the crew home without violating her principles. And she says, because you knew I couldn't. Yes. And he says it was the the logical thing to do. And she she says to Tuvok, look, I depend on you 
for your counsel and to check my moral compass. Yeah, he also says, I expect to lose my commission and be court-martialed when we get back home. So that's how big the sacrifice is he was making to spare her this dilemma. Right. Which is really kind of, frankly... (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. uh, That's... Well, certainly, as she says, she would not have allowed him to make this sacrifice on her behalf, had she known. Right. And she tells him that, um, you know, you can use logic to justify almost anything. That's its power and its flaw. Great, great line. Great line. Yes. Yes. And that, that, cause this is what she says from now on, you bring your logic to me and I'll make the decision. Don't do it behind my back. And, uh, it really, ex- it shows how being captain is the loneliest place when it comes down to it. You know, you, you're alone in your decisions and, you know, as much as you can be, especially on a deep space voyage like this, you really would want to have this companionship, the connection to people. But everyone on that ship is her is her inferior, is reports to her, and she's in terms got, of rank, yeah, in, in terms of rank, right? And and she she, you know, as much as she depends on people, turns to them, is friendly with them. At some point, she's the boss, and she has to make decisions, and they can't presume to do it for her, or even uh, you know, you know, on, on behalf of her or in place of her. That's that's an interesting thing that they point out here. And the Tuvok thing is even more serious than the Balana thing, because number one, she and Tuvok are friends, so she counts on him personally. And number yep. two, he's super smart, so she counts on him professionally as well. She she needs her moral compass checked, and she needs his logic. And so it's like, I need you even more than I need Balana. so no, you're not losing your commission, but I really need to know I can count on you bring your logic to me in the future. Do not keep your own counsel in this way. Mm-hmm. So Tim Russ, the actor who plays Tuvok, would, would later on would say that he didn't, he didn't feel like they developed Tuvok's motivations properly in this episode. He, he, hmm. He'd say that, he said that the logic isn't a reason for doing a thing, but a way of doing a thing. Like, like Tuvok wouldn't say logic, I, I did this for logic. He would say logic would be a way of, of how to do it. He wanted the reason Tuvok chose to act to be that he chose to sacrifice himself to save herself from a mutiny. You know, that oh. that I had to act because you were facing a mutiny and you I needed to save you from that. Oh, well, that wouldn't let him her dress him down in the same way. Yes, it would have been a, a different episode. And and it's interesting that the producers and and Tim Russ felt like that they were in disagreement over this. But when you listen to both sides talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, Tuvok in this episode, they actually were pretty close to, in mind on this. And so uh-huh. it's, it's interesting to see that the disagreement that really wasn't a disagreement, but he apparently had them rewrite a bunch of Tuvok's stuff in this episode to kind of make it a little more. It was because uh, earlier it was just, I want to get home and I'm going to join the, the conspiracy. And he and Tim Russ is the one who made it a little more nuanced than that, which is, I, hmm. which I thought was a good choice. Hmm. So, yeah. uh, Another little behind-the-scenes tidbit is apparently the Sakarians. this wasn't going to be their only episode, they were going to be one of the three main villains in the first season, along with the Kazon and the Vidians. Oh, really? Um, but uh, the, uh, I think after this one, they kind of felt like there's not much more to do here with these mm-hmm. guys. That, you know, they're too, he- you know, I don't know, they, they, maybe they felt they were too much like about hedonism and wouldn't be all about revenge or whatever. So, yeah, um, that would be interesting. Um, and so... Be that as it may, I'm that not sure it's sense. a big loss. <laughs> we we do get a reference to them very recently in Star Trek history because uh, in Star Trek Picard, 
mm-hmm. they're mentioned because when Picard is on the Borg cube, he needs a way to get from the Borg cube to Will and Deanna Troy Riker's uh, log mansion yes. uh, in a distant <laughs> star system. And they use a Sakarian trajector to get there. And they explain that the Sakarians, and I think it implied all of them, but I don't know that to be the case, got right. assimilated by the Borg. And frankly, I, I, I don't want to say they deserve to get assimilated by the Borg, <laughs> but there are yeah. other races who would deserve to get assimilated less. I can, <laughs> I can certainly say that. It's kind of like in the space, the space Marines in Aliens for me. Yes. It's like those space Marines are too cool for school and they deserved to get aliened. <laughs> so uh, this, the, I feel kind of the same way about the Sakarians, especially. Game over, man. <laughs> is, yeah, is, is, especially uh, Gath. Yes. That is, that's interesting. Yeah, it was, they said Sakarians got assimilated and they, that's how the, they got the technology. So, yeah, interesting. The, that we did see that in the queen cell in Picard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think yeah, I like to imagine Gath was on that ship and went to approach the Borg to offer them uh, a vacation <laughs> <laughs> and got more than he bargained for. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And, and I mentioned earlier that Michael Piller, one of the producers, thought that uh, it was a mistake to cast a Belgian as the alien villain. French sounding Belgian. Mm. So uh, I, I could see that. So uh, any other notes on this episode, Jimmy? Nope. Nope. So, uh, as what we does the title these... mean? <laughs> That's, yes, we. If you ha- anyone has any idea what the title means, let us know. So, uh, we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Thomas D, John B, Ted K, Bruce G, and Kathleen H. Their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. Yeah. So that's it from us. What did you think of Prime Factors, and what do you think the name means? <laughs> Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash track, or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Enterprise episode, Fortunate Son, and the Cretan's Clearwater Revival. (laughs) Until then, Jimmy Haken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Since this is a space show, is it Fortunate S-U-N or Fortunate S-O-N? No, it's S-O-N. This isn't that episode of the original series. Missed an opportunity. (laughs) Oh, well. Well, thank you, Dom, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, I don't enjoy being judged like this. It is most unsettling, not at all pleasurable. My outrageous French accent. (laughs) 